0: Amen. Man, that was awesome. Worship team. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, you get you get to go sometimes and preach somewhere uh, different. And as um, I say, this feels like maybe not Logos, but it feels like pretty close. Uh, it feels like I'm among friends. I, you have to bear with me. I might be a little emotional. I just dropped my oldest son off at the Marine Recruiters, along with uh, Jonathan, Jonathan's brother, David. Um, so my son, Trevor, and then Jonathan's, am I still on? Yeah, yeah um, they, they are going to camp to meet some new friends, courtesy of the Marine Corps. And so, uh, yeah, pray for them, and pray for my wife and I. Um, man, I, I want to tell you, before we get into the text, it, it, it is special to be... Um, to be here at storehouse, so my executive pastor Chris and I we have a, a strong relationship with Marco. Uh, we, we meet with other pastors, but there's this bond and so when when the churches decided, hey we're going to become instead of one church in three locations, if some of y'all were here way back then and uh, and then we decided you know we're going to be a network of churches. Through the last uh, year or so, I mean, it was clear that when we have a special bond with Storehouse, uh, we, when we're with Marco and we're often with him every week or every other week, um, we drive home or if Marco comes to Harlingen and leaves and we end saying, man, there's a bond. And so we are committed, not just uh, us as pastors, but our churches in continuing to have a strong bond with Storehouse and with Marco and um, it just feels like our people and um, we're just even this week with Marco I was like hey how can we it's one thing for us to have this relationship how can we encourage what can we do a couple of things through the year to make sure that our churches know hey like you guys I want you to know if, if you have a family member or a friend in Harlingen or on that side of the valley you can send them to our church and we'll take good care of them and you know that um, they'll get the gospel because I have full confidence on this side of the valley uh, that you 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 guys are getting uh, all of the gospel let me just uh, I, I know that Marco I listen to his sermons often and I'm just uh, been so impressed and, and just um, thanking God for what God has done in storehouse and through Marco. Over the last, you guys have weathered a lot, and God has been very faithful. And so, um, <coughs> praise God for that. So, let's do some catch up because I was I was looking back through the notes. It's been a while. It's been like, I think, almost four months since you have been in the book of Philippians. Now, we, we started back a little sooner, so Marco's actually preaching. Uh, he's starting chapter four for me over in Harlingen today. Um, uh, we started back, I think, when you guys did Titus, but I know what happens. You take a break, and, and so I want to catch us back up where we are. I love this letter. I love this church, and so Paul, back in the, in the book of Acts, we have this story uh, of Paul having a vision, and a man is saying, come to Macedonia, M- Macedonia and help us. And I love that. And, and so Paul responds. They go to this area. They end up going to this city of Philippi. And here's what's said after, after they're there for a few days. These men are disturbing our city. Here's what has happened. Um, Paul and Silas have been attacked. They are stripped. They are beaten, the Bible says, with many blows. Here, here's what has happened. For, first of all. Maybe the first convert was a lady named Lydia, who the Bible says sold purple goods. I don't know if, 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 if she was like that era's uh, prince, but it, she didn't apparently sell other colored stuff. She sold purple go- goods. And she knew about God. She, she was a proselyte, but they ministered to her. The Lord opened her heart, the Bible says, so that she could hear the things and understand what Paul was preaching, and she got saved. And then they're on their way, and they, they come upon a young woman, a slave girl, who is a fortune teller. And she's making her, you can imagine, she's making her owners a lot of money. They, they use her as, a, as kind of a party trick and make money. And finally, Paul just gets fed up and shuts her down. Well, you can imagine that the, the money stops. And so they're thrown in jail. Um, there's no more profit. And, and this is what it said when they're thrown in jail. These men are disturbing our city. And if you read the New Testament, that's what the gospel did. Similar things are said in Thessalonica, in Ephesus, here in Philippi. And so you have this church that is started by a prominent businesswoman, a Philippian jailer who gets saved while Paul and Silas are in jail, and maybe, although the Bible does not say this certainly, perhaps even the young woman that got delivered from demons. That, that's one incredible way to start a church. And so the backdrop of this church it's not, you know, it wasn't sent out from some great church planting movement. It was just started with, with a bunch of vagabonds and misfits. Birthed out of prison. Paul and Silas getting beaten in pain. And regular people getting radically saved by Jesus. And so the context matters as we're thinking about this church, as we're moving forward. Now, as Paul is writing this letter, we're, we're about 10 years later. From that incredible start. But I want to ask you before we move on. House, are you disturbing the city? You guys just another nice uh, option of, of like a hundred churches? Or are you disturbing the city with the radicalness of the gospel? Um, incredible grace like grace where people don't deserve grace and everybody around says well what they deserve is punishment and yet here's some storehouse people giving grace that's not merited you guys calling things sin that the bible calls sin that everybody else says you know it's 2018 we we don't really talk about that anymore i mean there's a there's a way in which the gospel disturbs the city so i want to challenge you uh to disturb the city and one of the ways we're going to talk about this morning in the text is a, a, a radical, supernatural, like bordering on insane call for unity and humility. And so we're going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I want to ask you to join me in prayer. God, one of the, one of the reasons that I feel so comfortable here is because I, uh, certainly culturally and the way they do things is similar to the way we do things, but more importantly, I know that these are uh, people of your word. That, that I don't have um, some, some great tricks and um, things to dazzle them with, and they did not come for that. They came to hear your word preached. And so we're common in that. Lord, there is power in your word today. Uh, We trust it. We we ask you, Lord, to whatever baggage we brought in here, a fight with our spouse on the way, um, a a kid misbehaving, our own hard heart, would you just uh, change all of that, soften our hearts to hear your preached word this morning? Lord, would you preach through me and um, that it would be evident to all that you visited us this morning in your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. with this, this statement. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, is there any of those things? I mean, he asks, so if, but we know, right? This is a rhetorical question. He's referring back, we need to go back for a second to the end of the first chapter, Philippians 1 27 through 30. So, let me read that to you as well. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, Paul's saying, um, hey, Philippian church, you're going to suffer. Salvation has been granted to you, but also guess what has been granted? Suffering. Are you okay with that, storehouse church? You want the one and but not the other, right? You hear that preached in, in another church. I'm so glad that if you've stuck around more than a week or two, you know that's not what Marco preaches. Paul says you, you, you're, in the same, you're engaged in the same conflict. I mean he I, I have to imagine that Paul's saying, "Hey, you saw it in me like when the church started, right? you saw the stripes on my back." And Silas is back. You saw a stripped, humiliated. Now you know that I'm writing you from prison. Hey, guys, the same stuff has been granted to you. You're engaged in the same conflict. In the American church, sometimes we're like, but that, I didn't sign up for that. But it's been granted to you. And if, you, if you're this morning, you're thinking, well, I'm not experiencing any of that. Perhaps you're not in a conflict you're no threat to the powers of darkness. That's what, You're not taking ground for the enemy, perhaps. And that's why you're not... Man, you're just like on the sidelines. They're not even worried about you. But for those of us who, who understand the gospel, who, who have been granted the same gospel that Paul's been granted, like suffering's part of the deal. Conflict is part of the deal. There's no way to go into a lost world and say, hey, the things you're doing, like the things you're giving your life to, God is not pleased. In fact, he calls you his enemy apart from Christ. Hey, have a nice day. Like, there's no way to do that and not experience conflict. And so that's why now in chapter 2, Paul says, hey, so you guys worried now that there's not um, encouragement in Christ? that perhaps there's not comfort from love, Uh, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. Also, I need to remind you, you have all those, church. Don't be dismayed. Be in one spirit. Be with one mind. Focus on one message. Like, this is how you get through the stripes on the back. This is how you get through the conflict, church. you, You have to be in one spirit, one mind. And you have encouragement in Christ, Paul's reminding them. You have to to wonder, you have that. You have comfort from love. You have participation in the Spirit. You have affection and sympathy from Christ. The same Christ that says He's granted you to suffer also grants you these things in abundance. I remember Marco saying maybe it was in Ephesians, and I love this saying, hey, before before Jesus tells you what he might want you to do, he's always reminding you who you are in Christ. And, and Paul, Paul does this so often before he's going to give them charges or call them to something hard. Hey, hey, hold up, storehouse! Remember who you are. You have, you have the sympathy of Christ. You have the love of Christ, the comfort of Christ. So we, together, church, we've got all these things in abundance. And that's what Paul's saying. You have all these things. And then he, then he asks something of them. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So I love the shepherd. He, he reminds them of their blessings. And then right after that, their responsibilities. Complete my joy. How? By being unified Having one mind. It, Paul uses this phrase, one mind, like 23 times um, in the New Testament. Ten of them in this letter alone. You think that's a big deal? We know, right, one of the, the first things you learn when you study the Bible is when God says something often, that pay attention. Like that's when you're studying the Bible in the morning, you need to circle. One mind. God is drilling down on something and it's, it's unity. It, it's one of the hardest things. And yet one of the most important things. And, and so a good leader, and Paul was one, constantly calling the people back. Hey, no, no, you two, no, you got to work it out, you know. Nope, husband and wife, no, you two guys, I know y'all, y'all had a spat. No, you're going to work it out. Always calling for unity. I mean, to a level... Full accord. Like we have to actually like each other and agree on stuff. That's a big standard. Full accord. Can you envision a church that is united in vision? I mean truly united in mission. Everybody on the same rope. Like when you come here and after you get your bearings and you're like, okay, this is my church. You're not like, you know what, Marco? I need to tell you the 12 things we did at my other church that were um, kind of better than what you're doing here. And, um, and then tell you all my many gifts. Here's what you need to do when you've, when you've been here a little while and this is your place. Hey, where's the rope? Can you make space for me on the rope? I'm going to get on the rope and start pulling. Whatever direction you guys are pulling. One mind unity full accord everybody on the rope so uh, how many minds are there at storehouse this morning i mean think about that and i'm not picking on you i could ask this in any church there are a hundred minds paul's saying no well one mind one direction one mission one message and so the standard, Paul, Paul it's, it's crystal clear. The standard is unity, full accord. It, it's the same unity as in chapter one, verse 27, right? Just a little bit before. And, and there, at the end of chapter one, Paul was talking about primarily external threats. Persecution. Now, interesting that the threat, and you know this if you've been in church for a while. It is sometimes the worst ones are are internal little disagreements they don't do the they don't run the children's ministry like you they sing some songs you wouldn't sing well you're not in charge right now I love some. somebody said um to Francis Chan after a a sermon one time or after a Sunday hey I uh you know I didn't really really get into worship I wasn't really feeling I didn't think it was that good and he's like hey that's okay we weren't singing for you (laughs) like one mind one focus. So the standard is unity. I, I literally had a, a brother go home on uh, this summer to a home church. He came back and his heart was broken. He said, Jeff, I, I, I love that church, but I'm, I'm just going to be honest. The, the main discussion, he was in a leader's meeting, the main discussion was, are we going to buy chairs that have arms or that don't have arms? And we laugh, like, about churches that split over the carpet color. You understand that does happen? That's, like, not just some uh, anecdote that we tell. Like, there are churches. That stuff happens. This was a real church, man, that lost people in their city, hurting people. The discussion, the most uh, important discussion was, are we going to buy chairs with arms or not arms? This unity is tough but it has to be it has to be a goal of a gospel centered church of an effective gospel church everybody giving everybody serving everybody joining under the leadership of the church that like you can bristle at that that is the picture of the New Testament church it is if that's the standard then here's what what Paul notes, there has to be a corporate commitment. Like everybody has to touch the rock on this. Like you, it's not okay if, if like five of you ladies don't get along. You're like, well, I'll just sit across. from. No, at some point, i right, give you some time to work your emotions out. Like we've got to get you together. You have to work it out. Everybody has to buy in. Everybody has to have what we call open circles. My wife saw this on a blog one time and I love it. Does that mean you guys can't have circles absolutely not but if four of you guys are standing there and some visitor comes up you got to open the circle hey man we haven't seen you we're talking about we're going up to hunt at the least why don't you come on in maybe you're not even a hunter like you you have to have open circles everybody has to to buy into the leadership there's submission of the, the, the body to the elders, submission of the elders to shepherd the body. Different backgrounds, different gifts, different ministries, but one body and one mind, Paul says. And so, so far, the standard unity. The, the, there has to be corporate buy and Everybody's got to agree that that's a value here, just like it had to be in Philippi. There has to be... There's going to be personal cost. See, so far, some of y'all are tracking like, yes, we should do that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I'm, ag- I'm in agreement. That has to be, there's going to be personal cost. Listen to what he says. Do nothing. Now it, now it gets personal. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others see you were okay when you thought paul was talking about somebody else even in this you're like yes they do need to do nothing out of self no no paul's talking to you and me see this is where it moves from theory to practical this is where honestly you have to have an assessment this afternoon am i selfish or selfless. This is where you ask your spouse, I know you love me, but I need, I need honesty. This is where you call the friends that you're in fellowship with, man, it, do I seem to be self-focused or selfless? And I need you to be honest. This is where you have to die to stuff. You have to die to some ambitions. You have to die to some preferences. You have to die to some, some self-interests. Why? Because I'm counting other people as more significant. Man, that rubs against every piece of my flesh. Some of you are going to go out to eat with people. You're going to let them choose this afternoon? And not complain and groan? Count others more success. I, I have to get humble. Here's what he's saying. I have to value your desires, your preferences, your blessing, your status more than my own. See, this is an incredible, that's what full accord means. This is an incredible standard. Moving from selfish to selfless. This is where humility becomes like the, the greatest thing to aspire to. That sounds ridiculous. Like, I'm the most humble person, just ask me. Right? But I mean, in, in truth, in honesty, it, it is a thing to aspire to, to. To let others go first, let them have the biggest piece of pie, let them get honored. Man, you, stuff has to die for you to live this way. Seriously, it's not natural. You won't go to business seminars and hear this un- unless they're they're doing it in a way that somehow that will line your pocket because you will look like you're gracious. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about really being gracious, really letting someone else um, do better at work or or get promoted first. Or, I mean, this, this, this is crazy supernatural stuff. I imagine if if. If you're honest, like you can hear this, and like that's just like, I, it sounds awesome. I, I'm I don't, I don't think I can do that. Like I'm, that's overwhelming. I that standard cannot be met. I mean I love I, I, some of y'all have already like not held that standard up this morning. Your preference in coffee, or you know something with your family. I mean we've not we've not lived this way already. I love the hope that the gospel brings. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the linchpin before verses 6 to 11. Verses 6 to 11 are, are what we call a Christ hymn. There's a few of them in the Bible. And this is the linchpin before that. If you're, if you're like me, like. Well, <laughs> there's just, Paul's just asked for a standard that I'll never live up to. Have this mind among you. This thing I'm asking you, this one mind, this selflessness, this humility, have that mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, we're gonna talk about the example of Christ and it's important, but more important than the example that we're gonna talk about is this possession have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. So as we get ready to uh, see this example of Christ, let's remember 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul says, Paul can say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's, it's good to imitate Christ. Gordon Fee says harmony then in this whole passage harmony is the the thing that that Paul is calling them to humility and selflessness are the way to it and so we we go into seeing this example of Christ knowing that we can't do it and yet it's still right like the apostle John says walk we ought to walk as he walked we should imitate Christ And so we're not preaching moralism in setting Christ up as an example. Like you and I, we don't look at the Proverbs where it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Um, Like the sermon is not, Go work hard and be disciplined like ants because God says so. That's not a Christian sermon. That could be preached in a number of places. Right? That could be preached at the uh, Rotary Club. A Christian sermon is, do this thing, you have this mind, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. So what what did the humility of Christ, what did it involve? I mean, Paul's given this great standard, and then he says, hey, if you're starting to feel overwhelmed, look, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. What was that mind? Think about what Christ, as you're, as you're feeling burdened to kind of give up some preferences, think of Christ. L- left heaven, born like men. The Bible says he was tired. The Bible says he was hungry. The Bible says he was thirsty. He was weak. He grew in wisdom. Now think about that for a moment. Does that cause you some trouble? He's omniscient as God. He knows everything, and yet the Bible says he grew in wisdom as a man. He was sad. He was troubled. He marveled. I remember he he marveled at great faith. Did that catch him off guard as God? He felt real pain at the cross. Don't make the mistake like, oh, well, he was God, so as they're pounding nails through his flesh, he had like some super God nerves that didn't hurt. No, man, he it hurt. It hurt. Real physical body really resurrected. So here's what happens as, as, as Christ comes to earth He empties himself in His move from heaven to earth. That's why when Paul says, taking the form of a servant, the, the Greek word there, Lebron, it It's not an exchange, but an addition. It's not an exchange, but an addition. He does not empty himself of deity or divine attributes. He he takes on the form of a servant. He did not give up any of his divine attributes. Here's what he gave up. Status and privilege. Sounds like the first part of the passage, right? Right? status, and privilege. One old theologian said it this way, remaining what he was, he became what he was not. It's something that we call in theology the hypostatic union, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man and did not give up any of his divine attributes while as a man on earth. So how how humble was he? What, like, how far was his humility? Paul says, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know you talk about the cross a lot here. Man, it's not just some glamorous um, artifact that we put on the wall, or some of you have like 30, like, There was real blood. There was probably a smell at the cross. There were real splinters on Jesus' back. There was real flesh laid open on his back. There was real shame, as some accounts say, that he was maybe completely naked or at minimum uh, very little cover. I mean, there was real shame to be exposed like that. There was real mocking. There was real spit that they spit on him. It's not a a proud way to die. That's the depth of his humility. John chapter 5 verse 19. Listen to his obedience. says this. So Jesus said to them, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. There was this complete obedience every step of the way, all the way to the cross, shame, mocking, humiliation. So as you it is, I think, appropriate as you're thinking, well, I don't know if I can give in. Man, I gave in to her last, last times in her preferences at church. I'm just going to stand my ground. And really? And the example of humiliation is Christ not standing his ground? Could have called angels at any moment and said, no, I will be completely humble, completely obedient to my Father. Here's what's also true. Which is awesome, is how far is his exaltation? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Every name. Everyone, Paul's saying, must bow, everyone must worship, all commanded to confess that Jesus is Lord. Do you, you understand that's a commandment? That Jesus is Lord. Well, I'm not sure if I want to say. It. You're commanded to repent, you're commanded to believe. Everyone must recognize and bow and worship. Listen to what Isaiah 45 says Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. What is it? To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. When Paul says this, everyone in the room would know This is the position of Yahweh. When I'm telling you that every knee will bow, everybody will worship, here's Paul saying, like in huge declaration Jesus is God. I'm telling you about his great humility. Make no mistake, Jesus is God, his name is the highest. So what does it all mean? I mean, you can certainly today go home and, and do what I asked you. Man, am I really, am I really selfless and do this kind of self-assessment? Or or what is more usually accurate, have others assess. And I think that's good. And you can you can aspire to imitate Christ's character, and I think that is right? The humility of Christ. I think it's to repent when you recognize that you're not doing that. Some of you, like I'm sure there's a spouse elbow another spouse. Like, um, like we, we should do those things. We can imitate. We should aspire. But it's more than that. Gordon Fee said, Thus, in Pauline ethics, listen to this. This is how how it works. The principle is love. The pattern is Christ. And the power is the spirit, all of which have been provided for in the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why Paul could say, do this, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the example and the provision. In fact, you can't do this without Jesus. Paul is throwing down this, this like doctrinal Christological gauntlet in this city that was like heavily Roman-influenced. Christ is the example and the provision. So what's the takeaway? I think for three groups of people as we kind of finish up today. For the Romans, for the empire, or think even today, here's what, here's what Paul's saying. Caesar, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, all of you thinking that you will become gods, you Caesars, you won't. You'll bow to my Lord this humble, foot-washing, um, hanging out with tax collectors and wine drinkers and prostitutes, Jesus, he's actually Lord of all, and you will confess and you will bow to him one day. He has the highest name in the land. That's what he says to, to the powers, that's what he says to Rome, um, to this... To this uh, Church where citizenship was a big deal and and all that. He's saying, look, that's fine, be great citizens, but, but Christ is Lord of all. To the believers, here's what he's saying. Our King, our Lord is humble. He humbled himself greatly for us. He was fully God and fully man. He did not give up his godness and in his godly attributes, but he took on human ones. He slept on the dirt sometimes. He experienced real human stuff like you and I. He was tempted. You know that, right? He was tempted like you and I. So you can't say when you're tempted, well, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through. Hebrews chapter 4 says he knows exactly what you're going through, that you might run to him in temptation and not away from him. He laughed, he cried. He hungered. He was troubled. When, when you think of this, this level of humility, here's what I want you to think. He had to come real low. He had to come real far. See, because you and I are low and far. We're not, like, the gospel is not like you're at the 99-yard line and Jesus has to bump you into the end zone. Like, you're on the bus. You're on the bus. You're not even on the playing field. You're not even on the JV. You got cut. Christ puts you on His back and carries you into the end zone. He's got to go, and He has to go find you in the worst place. That's how far He humbled Himself. And He had to, because we weren't very good before Christ. We weren't good enough. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. That is a great deal of sacrificial love. So when you think that's getting kind of tough, or what you're calling me to, Jesus, he's like, I I think I know a little of that. Romans 5 says this about our Lord. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Like some of y'all might do that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how far he humiliated himself. Because you and I were real far. He came a long, long way for you. Your response ought to be worship. Like not just throwing some coins in, like your whole life everything on the table for for jesus praise him adore him live for him get humble in light of what he's done man brother you want to go first absolutely man i'm i'm just so thankful of all my blessings man you go first for the next week man take the month i'm I'm so overwhelmed with what i've received from christ you can win for the next month Here's what he says to the lost. If you're you're in here and like this is like, uh, I thought, I don't know where I stand, but like that, that's crazy. Here's what he's saying. Bow right now. Like don't wait till you're forced down to your knees. Bow. Worship him. Cry out right now and call upon the Lord. Praise him for his humiliation at your expense. Worship him. Ask him to save you. Exalt Him as Lord. And then just live the rest of your life for Him. Hey, 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 there's a great standard. There's a great standard. But Jesus does all the work. And it's available to you. He is available to you. And there's no better life. Somebody say amen. There is no better life than life with Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage of of humility, of love, comfort. We have those things in you, Jesus. Abundantly. Like we're the most blessed. This is the best life, life with you. It is the best life. And so we we can joyfully give in to our brothers and sisters we can joyfully be in one mind and full accord your great example your great provision jesus unmatched i'm at, i'm begging lord that if some are in here that walked in not sure about you that you 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 reconciled that today lord you you saved perhaps some today even Father, just uh, we, we, our desire is to then worship you with everything, with our entire lives, everything open, everything belonging to you anyway. Our lives, our plans, our ambitions, our money, our songs, all for you. Right now, Lord, we, we give back to you just a portion of what you've given us. No way to outgive you. But this is a, uh, just gifts and offerings from your people, Lord. That trust you, that just acknowledge you're a great provider. And so it's our desire to just give back to you a portion. We ask you to bless it, to use it, Father, that Storehouse Church might literally disturb the city with the gospel of grace. Use it that way, Lord. Lord. that, that people might wonder about these peculiar people known as Storehouse Community Church that have an incredible message. Receive now the offerings and gifts of your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.